Hi, everybody. David Knorr. I want to welcome you to another episode of Curvebenders Live. Uh, I'm elated to uh, be broadcasting live, and I'll repurpose this in our podcast on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter, uh, both Knorr Group as well as my personal one. And I'm elated to continue uh, the series around my latest book, Curvebenders. So I would encourage you uh, to jump in with questions, comments, your perspective, Today's session, I thought I'd talk about uh, key sections I wrote in the book around this idea of your personal market value. I've got to tell you, this is year 20 of my practice. And in all this time, I've never seen the labor market this hot. I've never seen uh, this search for talent, the war for talent, the, the search for attracting, developing, retaining elevating, amplifying, enhancing the capabilities of the organization through that talent be as challenging as it is today. So whether you're reconsidering uh, kind of your own direction, whether you're looking to join an organization, whether you're trying to recruit others, I would submit that the talent agenda is everybody's job. You cannot abdicate this to HR. You cannot abdicate this to recruiting. And the more executives I speak with, the more executives I coach, the talent agenda is absolutely on top of our conversation points. And we're always talking about where do I, how do I uh, both make sure I'm in the right opportunities myself to create the biggest value, the biggest impact I can. And I got to tell you, I'm having that conversation with my uh, young adult children, and I'm having this conversation with executives that are very seasoned. Am I in the right role? Am I in the right organization? Am I creating the impact that I could and should be making? As well as recruiting, like I said, recruiting, retaining, developing exceptional talent to really help you not just meet, but exceed expectations of you, your team, your organization, I would submit is predicated on this idea of your market value and of every individual's market value. So again, the latest book is called Curve Benders, uh, key sections of the book. I reference this. And in this episode, I want to show you uh, really three key components of it. And then I want to ask you a series of questions. And I want to really challenge you to think about this uh, in your own efforts uh, in in introspection. And I want you to really look in the mirror and ask yourself some of these questions of, am I doing what I can to really build my personal market value, to really elevate my personal market value, to really package it and position it and market it and defend it. And these are the things that are really going to, I believe, are going to continue to set you apart from your competitive peers. So let me go ahead and share my screen. And uh, I want to show you, I want to show you a couple of uh, specific areas. and. Um, the, the first one really is this notion, uh, and again, I talk about these foundational rings. So, so think of this as uh, a cake with three layers, 
And the first one is uh, this idea of foundational rings. This is uh, core, so core, uh, personal, and professional. Think of this as, as really the foundation. And with each of these topics, uh, there are a couple of areas. And again, I'm going to ask a series of questions that I've jotted down that I thought would be really useful to you. So if we think about core, and I want you to think of a stable and loving home or a personal life. I want you to think of a supportive personal ecosystem. If those aren't in place, you're going to really struggle to professionally show up at your best. So I'm a realist. I know life throws curveballs at all of us. I know at various stages we go through ups and downs. And my strongest counsel to you is work on stabilizing. Work on uh, really solidifying those core uh, components before you embark on a new initiative, a new idea, a new job. So again, look in the mirror. There's a reason the airline safety videos tell us to put the mask on ourselves first before you help someone else. Look in the mirror, make sure you're starting with a really strong foundation, this core idea. But also think about how you can incorporate this into your interview process. Think of uh, competing individuals for those critical roles. The question I captured here is, how would you describe your current ecosystem of family and personal friends? Family, the ecosystem of family and personal friends. I'm trying to tell you, if that part of your world is distracting, if that part of the world takes a whole lot of energy, if that part of the world takes a whole lot of attention, you're just going to really struggle to both be at your best, but also have that individual be at their best. So really important to get a handle on kind of what's happening in that personal, in that family ecosystem. Number two, what one thing can you do to improve, stabilize, or otherwise elevate your relationships with your significant other, children, siblings? I learned this from one of my coaches, Marshall Goldsmith. And uh, he had us together. I remember like it was yesterday. I think it was 2017. We were in New York City at the American Management Association for a um, uh, MG100 gathering. And he did this. He took the whole room. And this is a room of incredible group of individuals, talent, and just thinkers and coaches and executives. And he asked each of us to ask our spouses. Ask our significant others, ask our kids, ask our partners, what's the one thing I could do to be a better partner? What's the one thing that I could do to be a better husband, better father, better brother, better sister, whatever the case may be, and not a list of 75 items that you hash up from the last decade, but one thing. And if you focus on that one thing and do that one thing better, you'd be amazed of the data that you get, and the things that you can work on. So again, what one thing can you do to improve, stabilize, or otherwise elevate your relationship with your significant others, children, sibling? Also great 
interview question. Think about it a second. Number three, how how about your few authentic friendships? I really I recently read a a, um, a statement that psychologists believe if you stay friends with someone for I think at least seven years, good chance you'll stay friends for a lifetime. And we all need personal friends. So Scott and I ride motorcycles, and Kurt and I ride motorcycles and I fly fish with a group of friends. And, you know, for years I had a, a group of, you know, grad school friends and we had poker nights and, you know, we all need those friendships. And the question here, do you have real close friends whom you don't feel like you have to impress can openly share your struggles, challenges, and opportunities? Why or why not? Don't tell me you're busy. We're all busy. And beyond our obligations, those personal friendships become outlets. They become great opportunities for us to disengage from all that we feel like we have to do and really embrace some of the things we want to do. Again, I'm, uh, we're live on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter. Elizabeth has got a great comment. Uh, let's see. It's imperative to take ownership of your professional, personal destiny. People have become way too complacent because they're being conditioned to play small and swim in their lane. Organizations have created these structures and perpetuate the status quo that we want people to be smart, but not too smart, be creative, but not too creative, be curious, but not too curious. This is such an important uh, topic, David. Thank you. Elizabeth, you're exactly right. And again, whether it's the, the organizational HR function or learning and development, you cannot abdicate your personal and professional growth to anyone else. You have to become the CEO of that personal and professional growth journey. And today's topic on your personal market value is exactly focused on that topic. So we're talking about the foundational ring. The first topic is core. And I described core as stable and loving, supportive personal ecosystem. I've given you the first three questions. Here's the last one. Do you feel loved, supported, and eager to learn and grow? You consistently demonstrate gratitude toward those who bolster your reach for greater heights. Why or why not? Do you feel loved and supported? If not, it's going to be very difficult for you to show up at work and be your best, do your best. Do you feel like, do you demonstrate gratitude toward those who want your best? and have a vested interest in your best. It's amazing how often just saying thanks to your colleagues, saying thanks to your friends. Hey, listen, I appreciate you. And by the way, mean it. Everybody has a BS radar. And if you don't get busy demonstrating genuine gratitude, what it says to others is that you're taking them for granted. What it says to others personally and professionally, that they don't really matter. You're using them to get what you want. And that's never a positive, constructive step forward, right? So we're talking about your personal market value, this foundational area. I wrote extensively about this in Curve Benders. The foundational area, first step is core. Second one I call personal. And in personal, I have lifelong education consumption. And I have spiritual grounding and unshakable values. So let me just share a couple of questions here. How would you describe your adult learning preference? We all have an adult learning preference. I'm a visual learner. I'm a hands-on learner. I like to kind of 
get in there and do it and watch other people do it and mimic or replicate them doing it. That's how I learn, not reading a 200-page textbook. So if you don't know your preference, you haven't optimized the way you learn and grow. So that's a really important point. Um, how would you describe your faith and what does spiritual grounding mean to you? Beyond any particular religion, how important was faith in you growing up? Again, really important to think about some of these things. A good friend, Tasha Yurek, talks about, you know, I think like estimated 90% of leaders believe they're self-aware when in reality less than 10% are. And I love her joke. Does that mean like 80% are always lying to themselves? Right. So if you don't know where those values come from, if you don't have that grounding, you, again, you're not going to be able to show up and be at your best. Um, what are some of your unshakable values? Integrity, I would say, is a pretty big one to me. Lie to me once. Yeah, shame on you. Lie to me twice. Shame on me. Right. And I just I, I, I personally don't do well with that. Respect is another one. I'm getting better at this. I'm working on this to make sure every single person I interact with, I demonstrate that respect and appreciation for, regardless of their stature or position or whatever. Grace, patience, all of those things are really important to me. So what are those non-negotiable principles by which you live your life? The reason I'm bringing all this up is this is who you are. This is your wiring. This is your foundation. This is that rock that you want to build your personal market value on, right? So the third uh, point in this foundational ring is professional. I talk about acumen and presence. I talk about emotional courage. So a couple of questions here that I captured. How would you describe your professional acumen? Blending of knowledge and skills guided by experience. Again, really good question for you to think about. Certainly a great question to ask in an interview process. Of the several examples uh, you know, like financial literacy, organizational knowledge, ability to deal with ambiguity, some of these things, uh, which one would characterize you as your biggest strength? Do you know what your real strengths are? Do you know where your growing edges are? And how do you know that? So I coach a lot of people to go on what I call a listening tour. Make a list of 10. 20, 30 people you like, you respect, you trust. Go and ask them, you know me. What do you perceive I do exceptionally well? Where do you believe are my growing edges? Where do I need to improve, enhance, elevate what I do and how I do it? All of these people who really know you, hopefully like you, trust you, respect you, cannot be wrong. So if they tell you you're brilliant, but nobody's going to see that brilliance because you're prickly, and you turn a lot of people off, they can't all be wrong. If multiple people are telling you you're a brilliant technologist, but you're god-awful as a leader, or you have no business leading people, they all cannot be wrong. By the way, if you're not hearing that, are you surrounded by people who tell you what you want to hear? Yep, yep, you're doing a great job. Yep, you're doing a great job versus those that, will tell you what you need to hear. So your professional acumen, your biggest strengths, areas for improvement, how would others describe your professional presence? How do you know? I have a, an executive who's reached out who wants to change roles. And he's done some great jobs for some marquee Customers, and he's done a great job in packaging himself. The challenge is 
the classic, and you've heard this, right? Classic over his skis because I've introduced him now to a couple of other executives and both have said that person is not ready yet for the job which he is pursuing. If he doesn't hear that from others, if he doesn't hear that from uh, those that demonstrate a vested interest in his success, he's going to keep going after these jobs and be really uh, baffled as to why he keeps getting rejected or he's not latching on to the right opportunities. Sharp guy, really sharp individual, right? Enormous amount of potential, has marquee customer uh, companies and brands in his resume. And he keeps reaching for the C-suite position for which he is not qualified. And I've talked to two executives I've introduced them to who both say he is not quite ready. He would be a project that they don't have the bandwidth to take on. If you're not hearing that kind of insight about you from people who have a vested interest in your success, maybe it's time to start looking for other real relationships. So we're talking about your personal market value. I've written extensively about this in the Curve Benders book. First section, think of this as a cake, three-layered cake. First set of rings, I call them foundational rings, core, personal, professional are the components there. The second one, I call value accelerants. Value accelerants likewise have three areas, financial, relational, and brand. Financial, relational, and brand. Uh, by the way, uh, I'll post uh, these in our private online community called the North Forum. Uh, if you haven't joined us yet, norgroup.com slash forum. I would encourage you to come check it out. Come join us. Uh, 2,500 or so folks already like-minded professionals. And that's where I post some of my best content. So come join us in the North Forum and you'll see images uh, and a PDF document you can download with this session. So financial, um, that includes quantifiable metrics, P&L performances, compensation, capital raises, exits, IPOs, those kinds of things. What would you describe? Good question here for you to think about. What would you describe as the financial highlight of your career thus far? Financial highlight of your career thus far. If you're not leading a PL, this would be a really good time for you to learn what it's going to take for you to get there. If you're leading a PL, what has to happen for you to lead a larger one? It's not about the PL. It's about the authority the accountability, the responsibility to both be in charge of the levers of the top line growth, the revenue, but also the cost structure. And it's really the first opportunity for you to see the entire field and in American football vernacular, become the offensive coordinator, not just the quarterback. Because the offensive coordinator may sit right top of the stadium, sees the entire field, sees all that's going on, quarterback just sees and is responsible for a part of it. So you're the financial highlight of your career. You're going to want a cup of really successful one under your belt and what you contributed to that success, not just your output, but the outcomes also go a long way. Um, what have been your compensation lows and highs in your professional roles? Compensation is a direct, I would submit to you, Correlation with perceived value. 
What perceived value do you bring? Your experience, your knowledge, your relationships, your ability to hit the ground running, an alignment of that talent to value creation with what we're willing to compensate, right? So what have been your compensation lows and highs? Have you ever been responsible for a PL? If so, what were the highlights? If not, what has to happen for you to reach that level of authority and accountability? Again, think about your career journey. Think about where you've been and what you've done. Financial is a is a is a metric. It's a it's a right the measuring stick. Your ability to lead. I lead a sales organization of ten million or hundred million or a billion. You can see that's a very different level of conversation. The second area within value accelerants is relational. So past and present relationships, access to open doors. How would you describe a couple of questions here? How would you describe the breadth, depth, and relevancy of your professional relationships today? Let me ask that question again. How would you describe the breadth, depth, and relevancy of your professional relationships today? If you're not thinking about these things, you're missing out on that opportunity of elevating your personal market value. Because I've, I've been an advocate of this for almost two decades, over two decades, beyond your educational foundation, beyond your professional pedigree, your portfolio of relationships become your biggest asset. So the breadth, the depth, and relevancy of your professional relationships will absolutely set you apart. Not if you don't talk about it, not if you don't measure it, not if you don't nurture it, not if you don't tap into it on a regular basis, not if you don't sustain them over some period of time. Another question. Um, we have a relationship economics quiz on our website. If you've taken it, what was your score? What was your profile? It's a really good way to think about the breadth and depth of your relationships, your business relationships. And the score gives you a set of recommendations to kind of think about. Uh, do you have a written, captured, well-defined list of your top 10, 20, 30 business relationships you can reach out to and ask questions or an idea by for their suggestions or talk you off of a proverbial career cliff? If you don't have a list of 10, 20, 30 go-to business relationships, why not? What has to happen for you to develop that? More importantly and equally valuable, whose list are you on? Are people calling you for your advice, your counsel, your suggestions, your ideas, your perspectives? Hey, here's what I'm thinking. What do you think? If you're not getting those calls, why not? Are you making those calls of others, asks of others? Because that's how you are going to nurture those relationships. So in the value accelerant, the second topic is relational. I would encourage you to spend some time really thinking about your breadth and depth of relationships. The third one is brand. The third one is the articulation of a vision. Your digital savviness is a couple of examples. So I coach this all the time. What three attributes do you want your personal professional brand to be associated with? Now, I know you could come up with a list of 75. But this is a very simple litmus test for me. If two people were talking about you, hopefully in a positive manner, positive tone, in a room and you weren't in the room, what would you want them to say? Nor is, hopefully again, in a positive, <laughs> dependable, reliable, intelligent. He forces me to think. I love this comment by an executive that I've been coaching for the last year plus. 
nor is always going to push you to become the best version of yourself. Yeah. So what brand are you trying to build and how consistent are you with that? Which is the next one. Uh, if I were to go randomly ask a dozen people who know you, would they use the same brand attributes? How do you know? Right. And again, this is I, I, I struggle with those who leave this to chance. I struggle with those who are not as proactive in identifying and building and nurturing and sustaining their leadership brand. Uh, what are some examples of how you're living your brand promise every day to turn those attributes into brand equity? Again, these are not just great reflection and introspection questions, but hopefully some questions you can also ask individuals you're recruiting. Because what they've done and how they've done it is great. It's not directly correlated to their potential success at your organization. Different company, different industry, different organization, different ecosystem. And last time I checked, no successful leader is an island. So they're all supported by others. And particularly since we're all still a lot of us working remote and that virtual working remote and leading remote team is going to continue to be a big part of our world. How proactively are you living that brand promise every single day? How consistently are you turning that brand promise into brand equity? So we've been talking about uh, your personal market value. I'm live on Facebook and LinkedIn, YouTube and Twitter. I hope uh, as Elizabeth did, you'll jump in with your questions, comments. We're talking about what's your real market value, whether you're looking to change jobs, you're looking to take on more responsibility, equally valuable. If you're trying to recruit, attract, retain, develop exceptional talent, I've written extensively about this in Curvebenders. I think it would really help you. The third, but certainly not last platter, and we're talking about this idea of, of three-layered cake, right? The first one was foundational. The second one were the value accelerants. This third one I call growth enablers. And the three attributes in growth enablers is resilience, relevance, and S-curve. So within resilience, the ideas like navigating the current turbulence, anticipating, plan, and guiding yourself, your team, your organization through unknown, on previously unforeseen environments. Let me know if any of this sounds familiar in the last couple of years, right? So resilience, what are the top three most compelling trends in your industry that will have a material impact on your personal and professional success? You know what I call the proverbial question, what keeps you up at night? Intellectually lazy, because I always want to say heartburn. You got a solution for that? Listen to this question. What are the top three most compelling trends in your industry that will have a material impact on your personal and professional success? What if you were asked that question in the next interview or the next leadership summit or the next board meeting or the next? How, what do you think would happen if you start asking that question of people you interview? I'd be really curious to better understand, do they have their finger on the pulse of the industry? What uh, I, in, in the book, the entire chapter two is on 15 forces. So I've got here of the 15 forces, you know, which one excite you uh, that could create the most possible tailwind in accelerating your personal professional growth? Which ones concern you as the most potential headwind? Again, if you're not thinking about these, um, 
how well do you understand your personal market value? Perhaps one of these trends, you have a direct correlation with creating success in it. That would be incredibly valuable to a company that's looking to create awareness, to create engagement, to really differentiate themselves. If you don't know this as a differentiator of yours, how will you effectively position it? How will you effectively use this to set yourself apart from others? Next question, how consistently do you believe you can anticipate impending events, plan and guide yourself, your team, your organization to go through them as efficiently as possible? Uh, some of you may know I'm originally from Iran. Uh, my grandfather taught a lot of uh, our, you know, my, my cousins and me and to play chess at a very young age. And I didn't get it then, but I certainly get it now. What he was really trying to teach us is how to anticipate, how to think two, three moves ahead. How proactively do you do that? How proactively do you think about what if scenarios? Not at the end of the quarter, but the next two quarters. Not at the end of the project, but at the onset of the project. I've often coached people that it's very easy for all of us to do Monday morning quarterbacking, right? Could have, should have, would have. And, and a lot of people are very good at the postmortem. Here's all the ways that we could have done this project or initiative or whatever differently. Get in the business of pre-mortems. Get in the business of early on anticipating. Here's all the possible ways this project, this initiative, this campaign could fail. Get the relevant people. You don't need 75. Get the relevant few people around the table. Shoot all the holes out it you can. In essence, de-risk it early on. So you can go into that campaign, initiative, effort with your eyes wide open. Your ability to anticipate will absolutely set you apart. Um, the next one is relevance. What do you believe is most helpful in your ability to remain relevant in how you collaborate with others, create outcomes in your function, and deliver quantifiable value to your organization? Think about it a second. How are you relevant? How are you most relevant? I was asked by a private equity firm recently to just have a conversation with two equally competent, equally capable executives. And this PE firm has used me several times and they wanted my input on their breadth and depth of relationships. So I asked both, by the way, fantastic educations, both uh, really strong pedigree. I asked one around his portfolio of relationships. I asked hers about her breadth and depth of relationships. And you could tell unequivocally she had done a better job in remaining relevant. Not just staying in touch, but updating their information, contributing to those relationships, adding value to them, asking for their help. And my comment to the PE firm was, either one will do a great job for you. But if you're looking for my recommendation, she is a better candidate because I believe she has deeper, wider, more value-based, and highly relevant portfolio of relationships. Think about it a second. If you've ever been the number two candidate for a job, you know that's not a fun place to be in. There's no close doesn't count. You want that job. You want that role, particularly if it's visible and highly impactful and kind of the next stage in your professional journey. And they ended up going with her. 
And the comment to him was, you're a great number two candidate. She's just a better fit. That better fit was the breadth and depth of her relationships and the fact that she was relevant. Uh, what have you found to be particularly useful in your efforts to create time, space, and actionable insights from reflection? Relevance in many ways is about you making time for reflection. What am I doing? What am I reading? What events am I attending? Can I have a relevant conversation about world events? Can I talk about key trends I anticipate happening, whether they're infl inflationary pressures or talent, right? Those all make you relevant. Um, how has the definition of success evolved in your professional journey? Life outside of work. All work and no play makes you a pretty dull person. Do you also invest in your personal professional growth outside of that purely work environment? Because you don't have to be a scratch golfer, but if you know how to play golf or tennis, or you know anything about sailing, if you've traveled, right? You're just that much more relevant in the conversations. So I'm always fascinated by how people can use examples of adaptive or accelerated learning to remain relevant. Last but not least, on this personal market value, on this professional market value that, again, I've written extensively about in Curve Vendors, this idea of S-curve. Um, I, I initially heard it from uh, about it from a Marshall Goldsmith MG100 colleague, Whitney Johnson. Uh, she's written extensively about it. And um, I started to really sketch out, uh, you know, as I was writing the book, I, I hold on to some of these things as, uh, as nostalgic. But I, I start to sketch out uh, these different stages, if you will, of an S-curve. And uh, it's a lot about your personal and professional growth. So one of the questions I ask, what do you believe is the most difficult, challenging aspect of a personal S-curve? So in that journey from investing to learn something, to excelling at it, to really thriving, to hitting a plateau, to declining, what's most exciting? What's most challenging? What's most opportunistic for you? And by the way, I've always believed specificity conveys credibility. So don't give me motherhood and apple pie. I'm actually, I tell people I'm allergic to vagueness. Give me specifically where have you benefited from that personal S-curve? Do you believe you've gone through a complete personal S-curve reinvention? What went well for you? Where did you struggle? Again, really good introspection question for yourself but also, a I believe, a fantastic interview question. How do you believe you can more proactively identify your plateau stages and plan on the next personal S-curve to begin investing in before you flatline? So personal reinvention is going to be critical to your success as the market is becoming much more dynamic, much more quickly. What you did, how you did it a decade ago may or may not be relevant. We've recently stood up a RevOps, Revenue Operations Practice. My partner, Jen Cords, runs it for our firm. And as Randy Seidel, founder of Sales Community, and I uh, interview sales executives, chief revenue officers, chief marketing officers, CEOs of predominantly tech companies on the Sales Communities podcast called Tech Sales Insights. I would encourage you to check it out. The more I, I talk about the fact that RevOps wasn't a thing when I was selling. We, we didn't have HubSpot or Marketo. We barely had Salesforce. And that was in its 
infancy stages and we certainly didn't have customer success. So how are you identifying those plateaus in your learning and growth to really think about reinventing yourself and what that next personal S-curve looks like? So again, we've been talking about this idea of your personal market value. I've written extensively about it in the Curve Bender's book. Just as a quick summary, if you joined us late, think of it as a, a, a layered cake. So the foundational rings are core, personal, and professional. The next level I call your value accelerants. That is financial, relational, and brand. The very top of it are your growth enablers. And those are resilience, relevance, and the S-curve. Uh, we're actually working on a tool to help you go in, answer some questions, and it gives you not just a descriptive, but a prescriptive uh, uh, effort on how to elevate your personal market value. We're actually also trying to quantify it. So this idea of how much are you worth, uh, there's actually I'm building a methodology around and a tool around how to do that effectively. But I would welcome your comments. Again, uh, we've stood up our own private online community called the NOR Forum. If you go to norgroup.com slash forum, that's our private online community, roughly about 2,500 uh, like-minded professionals who are focused on personal relationships and reinvention and real change and real innovation and lasting lasting change, if you will. I'll put uh, images and, and copies of these questions in there. I would encourage you to come check it out. Uh, I would encourage you to really look through these questions and ask yourself, how am I doing against some of these? What are the areas for me to really build on certain strengths? What are the areas that I need to personally and professionally double down, invest in? And by the way, don't do this in Ireland. Go, as I mentioned earlier, on a listening tour. Make a list of 10, 20, 30 relationships who know you and like you and trust you and respect you and vice versa. And go ask them some of these questions. Because I've long believed the day you stop learning and growing is the day you become complacent. The day you become complacent, you're no longer valuable to your biggest asset, which is your portfolio of relationships. So again, I hope this session has been useful to you. I'm David Knorr. This is the Curve Vendors Podcast. Uh, I try to launch a new episode or, or deliver a new episode every week. Hope you'll join us Tuesdays, typically at noon Eastern. I'm live on multiple platforms. And then we repurpose this as a podcast, as well as blog posts and articles and other, other tools that hopefully you can put to use. Uh, on that note, thanks for being here. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Hope this has been of value to you. I'll see you next time. Thanks, everybody. All the best. Bye-bye.